Welcome to the King's Healing Room Podcast, where we are a kingdom ministry within global presence. We are located at 4326 Pharaoh in Syracuse, New York, 13219, where the executive pastor is Elder Yulon Jones and the senior pastor and founder is Bishop Brian K. Hill Sr. All are welcome. Thank you. 
I'll leave that for her to tell you. She goes wherever. She is not afraid of who is there, and she makes the ground tremble when she gets there. And I have told her this, so it's not something I'm seeing on the outside. I've seen her in the places where I'm like, Mom, did you see those people? They are little suspects, skeptical. And she's like, what? God has me. So she is leading the charge, and we follow her continuously as she follows Christ. So thank you, uh, Mother Hill. And then we have our other mother in the house who is graciously, graciously giving us the soulful tunes on the piano, and that is Mother Mary Lively. And I love, love, love her, and she knows it. And then we have our uh, James Lacey, Elder James Lacey, and, and Pastor James Lacey. <laughs> it's called, it's called things, but you see, that be not. And then we have Pastor Stephen over here on the drums. We have the purpose of me sharing and giving a shout out ahead of time so that when we get in the word, I don't forget to say thank you. <laughs> so I'm getting all the thank yous out right now as I digress and allow the Lord to come in. So everyone is probably wondering what is the message going to be? Let me share with you what the Lord has said is vision beyond limitation, all right? And then the subtitle is sight beyond what I see. So vision beyond limitations and sight beyond what I see. Corrective lenses. Everyone and anyone who has spent time with me knows that I have a variety, numerous pairs of glasses, and they come in various shapes and sizes and colors. Oh my. <laughs> However, the one thing that is common with all of them is that prescription. Now I asked God several years ago, I said, listen, I'm buying all of these glasses for all of the various outfits, because, you know, that's what I do. I said, could you and I work out a commitment that you keep my eyes the same? So that I don't have to keep on paying extra to get a new prescription and I can wear them all, all the time? And so far, he has honored me, but it's getting a little bit challenging sometimes. Uh, but with my glasses, while they are unique to me, I've learned that there's over 164 million adults in the United States of America that also wear glasses. I see many of you in here on today, and those who might have left their glasses at home is probably because you didn't see where they were to look at them so that they could be on, right? <laughs> and uh, for me, I have to wear glasses all the time. I'm like this often, hey, hey, did you see where my glasses were? And I just have to go a little bit further and I can pull it out. But um, glasses have become a million, excuse me, a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, and it has become, as I have alluded, a fashion statement. All right. Yesterday. I know I saw her the other days, 
the doorbell's on. Now she's looking just like me. So who knew that the first recorded prescription glasses were going to become a common remedy for poor vision? Who knew that? Uh, it was going to later be called corrective lenses. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me while I do the backdrop. The history of glasses started nearly 2,000 years ago with the Romans. And the Romans, they learned to employ or to create glass, to take glass, to shape it as a sphere, and to use it as a microphone, excuse me, a microscope so that they can see the small print of the Roman, Roman language. And so they made, did I say microscope? I meant to say magnifying glass. And none of y'all, none of y'all, none of y'all correct me. I'm just saying. Magnifying glasses. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Amen. And I even say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. See the Lord with me. See him in the tiny places. See him in the large places. Take that magnifying glass and make him bigger than the situation is. Amen? So when that author of that passage says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, make him bigger than your issue. Make him bigger than your circumstance and let your word make him bigger than your issue. Amen, amen, amen. So the magnifying glasses were set as spheres. And as early as the ninth century, now that was a long, long time ago, there was a guy named Abbas Ibn Furnas. I know you scholars in here are going to look that person up. I'll give you the name after scholar. <laughs> but that person was the inventor and he invented the first corrective lenses and why I think he is amazing. Not as much as God, but he is amazing because the lenses were shaped and polished into reading stones so that we can see. Because as we age, and so I'm talking of the adults at this moment who may not have astigmatism when they were younger, but as we age, we learn that our vision may become just a little bit challenged, that things were just really, really clear, now it's just a bit fuzzy. Or when we're looking at people's faces, we, we really want to remember them, but we can't because we can't really make out the features within their faces, right? And so at that time, it was considered to be intellectual to have and to wear glasses. You had to be very studious, and you were considered to be very, very smart if you wore glasses. Yeah. All right. They went on, and some of the glasses were held by a wire, and they were held on the nose. And if you hold the glasses on a wire, it ended up getting an arm and so therefore they had to come up with another method. And then you heard the people who had the two glasses and then they just sat on the nose. Well, those were called spectacles. And the spectacles couldn't stay on the nose, so they had to invent and up their game to where we have the glasses we have now, where they're hands free and we're able to see. Amen. So, you might say, why is she walking through the glasses? Well, those of us need glasses, and it serves as a way to correct 
our core vision. And each of us have a, a space in our vision where you used to have 2020 vision, meaning you're able to see clearly in front of you and you're able to see clearly all around or in back. But as you mature or as your eyes adjust, you might need to have some medicine in there in order to correct it so that you can see clearly. And so I'm not gonna tell you what my vision is because then you'll have to meet outside. <laughs> but there is a conversion that takes place when you take a person that has an eye stigma or an eye challenge in order for them to be able to see. I can see my beautiful sister over here and she brings me comfort because I have corrected lenses on. If I took my glasses off, all of you would be my sisters. <laughs> Even if you were a male. <laughs> um, but it says, uh, I, when you have the conversion and we put on our glasses, we are able to receive sight. Similarly to that scripture that tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, that says, and now I see as in a glass darkly, and then face to face, and I will be known, excuse me, but then face to face, for I know in part, but then I will be known even as I am known. So our glasses sometimes gives us a, a mirror to how we are. When we see things, whether it be jagged or clear, we get an opportunity to see how we are in that particular moment. And boy, I can tell you, when you get tired, you can see even more the imperfections within your body. You can see even more the imperfections within your work. And so sometimes, now I see through a mirror, this is the transliteral way of a Carlinism. And now I see through the mirror of God's word, through the scripture, I am able to find an example to that issue and put a word on it because Christ Jesus, who became flesh, was tempted beyond measure and found to be blameless. Put the corrective transliteral language on it and I'm able to see through that glass darkly. And the part that I love about that passage is, I will be known even as I am. Now the I am, for those scholars in the house will know that I am is found directly in Genesis. When Moses says, who do I say sent me? And they said, say, excuse me, Lord said, say I am has sent you. So when he said I am, I will be known even as the I am who has sent me is known. Then that gives me comfort and allows my sight, the inside of what I'm doing, to measure up to him. So I told you a lot about Carlene, and I told you about my conversion and such, but we're going to go right into the passage, and we're going to learn about the conversion of our dear brother, Paul. And my sister, who went in Sunday school this morning, we were cracking up because we have never spoken. That is how I know that the word that the Lord is about to perform on 
one today that it is in line. And catch this. The conversion of Saul to Paul, to Paul is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. And I know that time will not allow for us to walk through every single verse, although that would be really delightful for me as a teacher. I'm going to exegese that text and pull out some meaning and allow you to have some commentary for it for us to take home, all right? So it starts by saying, and Saul. And that's important that it started with Saul because Saul was the name that he had before his conversion. Very similar to corrective lenses, there's a vision or there's a sight that you have before being converted in the Lord. And Saul, yet breathing out teachings to slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue. He was out persecuting the Lord. He was out persecuting the fact that Jesus Christ was not alive, was not willing, he was, he was persecuting in that time. And he was found that every woman and every man that he might bring them to be bound unto Jerusalem. That's verse one. So that's saying that if you believe in Christ and Saul was here, he would counteract what you were saying and then go to the high priest in Damascus and say, put them in jail. Can you imagine? I can only. And verse three, as he journeyed and came near Damascus and suddenly, catch the suddenly, because suddenly is the conversion. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fed. When we have a conversion, a conversion that is one of the Lord, we are often blinded as Saul, blinded by the light. Sometimes a person who may be considered holier than thou is coming in front of you and that light may blind you to a point where you fall down and do not want to be around that person because it might reflect the I am that in you that you have not discovered yet. Amen? Amen. And so Paul had that experience. The suddenly shining around him and the light came from heaven. He fell to the earth. Can you imagine falling back to your original state? Can you imagine falling back to the earth, the place where you were born, the place where you had got your uh, assignment, the place where you thought you were on the right path, but the light came and it said, listen, you are going in the opposite direction from where I had called you from. And it was so interesting in this passage that it said he fell to the earth. He didn't die, he fell to the earth. And in hearing falling to the earth, he heard a voice unto him saying, Saul, Saul, why art thou persecuting me? I can imagine the Lord on today saying to us, why are you persecuting me? Why are you speaking against what I have said in my word? And I hear you saying, I am not doing that. I am uplifting the Lord Jesus Christ. I am praising him. But he's saying, are you praising him in the morning and crucifying him at night? Amen. Are we praising him when the high 
and cursing him when we have a challenge? Are we praising him when our pockets are fat and cursing him when they become flat? I'm a poet and you know it, right? <laughs> Why hast thou persecuted me? But Paul, like us, and I love the analogy of Paul because it brings it real. And he's throughout much of the New Testament. So you want to look far to find yourself in Paul. But with trembling and astonishment, he said to the Lord, what will you have me to do? I'm doing all the things that you have said that so I thought. Paul was a person of, um, he knew the word. He understood the word. So he was like, listen, I thought I'm doing it right. What will you have me to do? How will you have me to serve? And the Lord said unto him, that's how I know that there was a conversion that took place. Because he heard the Lord. He asked the question, and he heard the Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told to you what you must do. You only can be in the Lord when you only get that amount of word and you actually move forward. We know that there was a conversion. We know that there was a belief. How do we know? Because he went. And I'm here to admonish many of us in this room and those who are tuning in that sometimes your conversion has happened, but it is not of effect because you have not went. You have not gone. You have not done the thing that the Lord had for you to do. And the thing that this passage is telling us is that it's not something that we can do on our own. Paul said, what must you have me to do? And the answer was very clear. Go to the city where I send you, and they will tell you. There will be someone to tell you what to do. So that tells me, saints, we can't do this by ourselves. That there's somebody who he has assigned to us to give us the word, to give us the hope, to give us the encouragement so that we can advance and move forward. Amen? All right, so I'm going to drop down a bit. It says, Saul arose from the earth because he was still down in the ground. God will speak to us in our pit places. Amen? He arose. And when his eyes were open, a conversion can take place when you hear. Because you got to hear it and then see. Because his eyes wasn't open until he heard. So can you imagine when you're talking to someone and you're feeling in the spirit and you're speaking and you're not looking at them and then your eyes awaken and you are told to go. He was without sight for three days. Three days he laid on that earth. So I'm here to empower those who for three days may be in your bed dealing with mental illness trying to figure out where do I go from here? But you're hearing the Lord saying, do one thing, and you're trusting, but you can't see. He was without sight for three days, which admonishes us to know that it was not a quick fix. It was something he had to do to stay in there, something he had to do to trust. He was at the pit, at the end. He knew he wanted change. 
and he had to wait it out. And I can imagine Paul saying, listen, I'm going to stay with that. Until you do what you say needs to be done, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Until you show up for me, I'm not moving. I had a time when I was uh, first in the Lord for real this time. Like for real that time. Because you give yourself to the Lord several times when you're a teenager. And then as you go into your adolescence or I don't know, maybe you're grown to give yourself to the Lord several times. But I remember I was a single mother at that point, And I had two children at that time. And I had a lot of ticks for being late at work and or absent for the various reason and was on the verge of uh, performance, like firing. Have you all been fired here before? Yeah, I was on that verge. But this time I had been for real, for real, that I was going to do everything in my power to do everything right and to make it to work on time. And if I had a challenge or a sickness, I was going to put that to the side because I had two children to raise and I had to make sure that I was able to be at work and have meaningful employment. But then the car would not start. But then old man winter set in. And I went outside and said, I got up early, I shoveled, I did everything that I needed to do, oh God. I've given my life to you, Lord. And I can't get to work today. And if I don't get to work today, I'm going to be fired. And I remember just as vividly as I'm looking at you all now with my corrective lenses that I stood in front of that car and I said, Jesus, if you're real, you have to move this car. I got in the car. It was an Acura Integra, black, two-door with the sunroof, I'm saying. <laughs> and I turned the key to that car and it didn't do anything. I said, Jesus, you got to help me. And I turned that key again and that car went gliding through. I never was late to work again. Alright? I never was late for work again. I never was on a performance, a PIP, a performance improvement plan with attendance issues ever again. That was in my 20s sometimes, so you know that was just a little bit ago. <laughs> right? Uh, but what he said, he said to him, and the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street, which is called straight. Y'all right. missed it. <laughs> go, arise. Excuse me, arise, because you gotta get up. Go into the street, which is called straight. The Lord is so plain in his word that whatever issue, challenge, excitement that you have, you can find it in the word. And we put a word on it, that word will take us from glory to glory to glory. He told Paul that was down in the ground, in the earth, on the earth, arise and go into the street, which is called straight. That means get back in line. Though you fell, though you cross, though you messed up, get up and go onto a street called straight. And then he didn't leave him on that street called straight by himself. He said, go to the house of praise. We had our elder this morning praising his little, praising his little weight off and his, his sweat was drooling and everything. And 
Jesus, I know you are going to provide all my needs. Oh, can I get five dollars? Because I'm pretty bad today. Jesus, I know that you have sent me to perform this and to tell that person. And when that person shuts the door in your face, you're like, oh my gosh, did he really tell me maybe? He did not tell me to go tell him. I'm here to say, he wants you to have that conversion that when he tells you to tell someone else, that you don't be afraid of it. Yes. That you don't turn your head in dismay as it says in Jeremiah 1. I'm speaking scripture on today, those who know it. Yes. That wherever he tells you to go, that you go. Whatever he tells you to say, you say it. And do not be confounded by their faces, lest you be confounded in front of them. And I know that whether or not you have this as a platform to decree and declare God's word, that you came into this house today, so therefore there's an unction inside of you. And whatever platform he has you on, that's the platform that you use to stand up and to say, listen, no matter what's going on, I'm converted. And Christ is the Son of God. He is the living Savior. Amen? Amen. Paul gives us the true meaning of, I was once blind, but now I see. Because after an encounter with Jesus, we will be the spokesperson for him no matter what. Amen? And he is challenging each and every one of us to do that. So another example that I found in this passage that I think that will be encouraging to you, and it's again, Paul. Paul, as he went along his journey in Acts 27, Paul and his crew, because you know you got you got a crew. If you someone you got a crew that's gonna follow you, they went and were en route to Rome. And as they went on their journey, it was temptuous. Now, some people could say, I'm tempted by 36, 24, 36. Some people can say, I'm tempted by that Louis Vuitton. Some people can say, I'm tempted by that cheesecake that is about 1,595 million calories. But Paul was tempted by the head wind that was called Eusophilin. And that just means a humongous wind. Sometimes we get so distracted by the wind, by the things that come to, to sway us from left and the things that come to sway us to right. But God, every storm has a name. Every storm that we encounter has a name. And we, like it says in Luke chapter 4, we can call that storm by its name and send it back to the pit of hell from which it came from. But we have to be able to name it, yes. all right? Yes. So if you are able to name it, then you're able to tell it to go. Amen? Amen. Poverty, go. Addiction, go. Doubt, go. Lust, go. Pride, go. Name that storm and send it back to the pit of hell on which it came for. Amen? Amen. Know, and if that storm comes, get to the root of it. What is it? Pity. 
on us and not comfort us, but more important, not go in war on our behalf. Amen? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit wants to do the work of the Lord. All he needs is your voice to command him to where to go. Glory to your name, Lord. So that was point one. Verse 19, it says, on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, what this is saying is while they were in the ship, and there's several different uh, verses before we got to 19. I encourage you all to go and read because I'm cutting through the field. But on the third day, when the, when the ship was blowing here to fall, in order for the water not to come in, and weigh it down so that they go down with the ship. They had to go and throw things overboard. And so they threw all of the stuff overboard, inclusive of the tackle. And the tackle is actually important because that's what you will need in order to land. So can you imagine that if you have this tackle and you're throwing it overboard, that at that point, that's the Lord saying, you need to fully trust and believe. You are out here on this river, on this sea, and I'm the only one who you can ask and rely upon. Because you do not have your tackle, you do not have the things that you knew to do in the past. Your comfort is overboard. <laughs> in verse 20 it says, and then neither sun nor the stars appeared for many days. Again, he wants to get the uh, flesh under control. And I invite each and every one of us to get our flesh under control. Because the first thing that they threw out the boat was the food. Get our flesh under control. And when they got our flesh under control, then the next thing that they threw out the boat was the thing that they said, me, mine, my own pride. Amen? That represented the tackle. So they got that out the boat. Amen? And then they were sitting in the boat, sitting in their circumstance, just waiting around saying, oh my gosh, night came, moon came, stars came, they were gone. All their hope, which was caught up in their flesh and in their pride, left them at a place of despair. How do I know? It says in verse 20, and there was neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us. So they were at a calm then. It's one thing to be having your adrenaline run when you're in a windful state. It's another thing when you're sitting in a boat and there's no more wind, there's nothing else tossing you to and from. So therefore that adrenaline is no longer running and you have time to think. And when you have time to think and you're left with your own thoughts, hmm, that's when the Lord can deceive or all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. And that's what Paul, excuse me, that's what Paul's crew experienced. But then what I learned from that passage is sometimes we are put into positions where we have to, have to sit there for a moment. We have to be able to feel the effects of not being in control. Feel the effects of bringing 
our flesh under control and just trusting in the Lord. I've thrown up my hands several times saying, all right, Lord, if it's going to get done, you're going to have to do it. I'm a willing servant. Tell me what to do. But if all I need to do is stand still, I'm still standing. Amen. If all I need to do is to listen, I'm still standing. When all the resources are gone, when everything that provided you security, when all that you had to hold on to is gone, and there is no vision in your circumstance ever changing, your hope can be diminished. I know I've been there several times, and I know that he's not a respected person. If he's done it for me, he can do it for you. Amen. Beloved, he loves 
origin so that we know we have that convergence, we have that place to say, if I would have listened, if I would have not taken that first cigarette, then I would not be having six or seven packs a day. If I did not drink that first sip of Mountain Dew, then the dew might not be in the morning. from the Emma of Nazan. Oh. Then I would not have to have continuous packages come to my own by Amen. Amen. Verse 22, Paul is a little bold in his self and puts his chest on the side and it said, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. And I'm going to actually close on the next few passages. <laughs> it's almost coming to an end, you all. But the ship, but only of the ship, the ship is the circumstance. It represents that circumstance. So their only loss will be that circumstance. But the life that lives and dwells in you, that's going to live on. The life that lives and dwells in those who were there, that's going to live on because God needs to have a remnant to tell of his goodness. He tells all, right? So that's what it says there. And God will allow us to go through that experience. Uh, and it implies in that passage that wise counsel is there at the beginning. Because Paul said, I told you so. Paul was in there because I was saying, why did this blockhead go? He could have been on the outskirts, but somebody has to be in there to be a part of the story so they can tell of the story. And it was there, he was there near the end. He was used as a vessel by God. His leadership was used. He was encouraging them. And then he was giving them hope in a challenging situation. He said, we may lose things, but we won't lose our life. Amen? We won't lose our life. As I turn it into the end, almost to the conclusion, two verses next. Acts chapter 28, and all my family will appreciate this. After Paul's infamous speech to the crew, he became shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And they were used on that island to lay hands on the sick and they laid hands on those people who were poor, and in return, the people on the island gave them usage of a ship. Now, we are here, many of our family are here. When Paul set sea from the Isle of Malta, he was put into a ship to a, called Alexandria. And on the ship called Alexandria, the emblem was two twin boys. Two twin brothers. Dan and Henry was figurehead. The two twin brothers, Dan and Henry Yellen. I'm just saying, right? So when they left Malta and they went on a ship, the figurehead on the ship was two twin brothers. And they, in verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, <laughs> we stayed for 
that we can land on as a foundation that our twin brothers brought us here to Syracuse. And they met the first time. Some people we have not seen, they have left, but we came back to the place where we started to give honor and praise at how our legacy began. We learned that we came on the transatlantic, the Bantu, Bantu, we learned that that's our lineage. And throughout all of those travels, we went through the south, and then we had a convergence to come up to the north, and then we had a convergence to come to Syracuse. Through all of that travel, it has brought us here together. Some have met this week for the first time in those three days after being shipwrecked. Some of them have been restored. Some of us have been challenged. Some of us have been stretched. But we are all here filled with love. Amen? Amen. My vision sees beyond 
victims of addiction, lust, deviant behavior, lying, cheating, self-harm, doubt, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, backbiting, gossiping, anger, rage, lack, and any other demonic spirit that tries to rise herself up against the knowledge of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I will call upon the Lord in the time of distress, and he will set me in a large place. My vision sees the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what I leave you on today, is with the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Amen? Amen? Get into the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to cleanse. Allow the Word of God to renew. Allow the Word of God to wrap itself around you and shimmer you with the hope that is an everlasting hope of glory. And I am grateful to God. I ask that all stand, invite that if there is anyone here that wants to rededicate their life, their walk to God, if on the first time that they have, have want to know a little bit more about Him, that you just raise your hand on today. If everybody can close their eyes on today, we know that we have some that have to catch a plane. We love you all, love you immensely. But if this time, I would be remiss if I let this opportunity pass for someone to give their life to the Lord. Is there one? Is there one today? Hey, 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 Step apart if you want a little bit of saying. You can say, I accept 
Lord Jesus, if you repeat after me, I accept Lord Jesus. Amen. I accept you, Lord Jesus. That you are the Savior of my soul. I believe in my heart that you died. So believe in my heart that you died. Glory to you. And that you rose again. And that you for my sins. And I confess with my mouth. And I confess with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I am saved. Today is my birthday. Yes. Birthday. Today is my conversion day. Today is my conversion day. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life. To live and to guide me in all truth. All truth. Thank God. 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 Thank God.
We have three different ways that you can give. One way is using the Giveify app by downloading Giveify using your iOS or Android device and search the King's Healing Room, where you will see our senior pastor, Bishop Brian K. Hill's senior photo. You also can use our text to give. Here how it works. There are five steps. Step one, text GIVE to one 981 which is a unique to the King's Hill Room. Step two, you will receive a text with instructions. Step three, follow the instructions to set up a given account. Step four, text the amount you want to give and the designation. It could be a tithe, offering, or general fund. In step five, you will receive a receipt via email confirming your gift. And here's the last way you can give. You can use PayPal and send your donation to tkhroffice at gmail.com. That is tkhroffice at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to listen to more messages like the one you have heard. We are the King's Healing Room and we are a kingdom ministry with a global presence.